Are you still mixing station gas and oil for your string trimmer, leaf blower, or chainsaw? Eliminate the mess and the guesswork with True Fuel, the original pre-mixed two-cycle fuel. True Fuel is ethanol-free and precision-engineered for small engines, improving performance, and extending the life of your outdoor power equipment. And True Fuel is available for both two- and four-cycle engines. Empower your equipment with True Fuel. Available at your local home and garden center today. Introducing the s Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 26. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, baseball season has finally begun, and I, I know I'm definitely excited. Baseball's finally back, thank you. Uh, and... We're recording this one a little bit late because we're talking about the NL uh, predictions, but we're only a couple games into an 162-game season, so I think we'll get a little bit of a pass for that one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's very exciting right now. Baseball season is starting. You know, you have all the power rankings that are out there and all these predictions flying around about who's going to win the World Series. And, you know, a lot of people say it's way too early to predict that kind of stuff, but that's what kind of what our job is to do as people who talk about sports. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting season. I think a lot of teams have made a lot of moves um, you know, this off season to try and get better. Um, and it's one of those feelings where you feel like everybody's gearing up. So like we said, we talked about the American league and even though, you know, the five teams, the five playoff teams we chose seem predictable. Um, I think the NL has a lot of chances for a lot of upsets and a lot of interesting teams to look at, um, uh, when it comes to 2018. Yeah. There was mainly like four powerhouse teams really considered, but out of those four, three of them were all in the American league. So, there's a vast majority more in the National League should make a few of our different pits a little bit more of a separation. Uh, and, you know, what way to kick off the baseball season when you're in New York, it's April, and there's still going to be a delay and a rain out because of snow for the New York Yankees, and I think the Phillies were also involved with those issues, but that's just been the fun weather of this year. But... With that, I want to start with the National League East, and I'm not going to start with the New York Mets, even though we both support the Mets. I want to start with the Atlanta Braves, and the big name for Atlanta is not even on the team yet, and that's Ronald Acuna, sent down after completely destroying spring training, destroying the minor leads all last season, sent down just because of an extra year of arbitration that when he won't be able to play a certain amount of games this year, and he'll be held for an extra year that the Braves will own Acunas technically, and he won't be able to be a free agent. And we saw the same thing happen with Chris Bryant with the Cubs the year they were trying to make it to the playoffs and lost to the Mets, I think, in 2015. So same thing with the Braves. Do you like organizations doing this? I do not, actually, because to me, this is where you blur the line between what is baseball. Is it a business or is it a sport? If it's a sport, you're trying to win every game possible. You're trying to make the playoffs. You're trying to win a division. You're trying to go all the way to win a World Series. When you start treating it like a business, 
is when I start to have a problem with it. Because clearly all you're trying to do is save every penny and dime so you don't have to pay what could be a megastar in Okuna. And honestly, it's just not... You know, it's, it's not a good look for the organization. It's not a good look for the fan base. The fan base is going to be angry because when you send a message to your fan base by saying, hey, this young, you know, this youngster completely tore the cover off the ball in spring training. Clearly, he earned a spot on that roster, right? It's not like the Braves have limited spots. It's not like the Braves are a powerhouse team where they have other options for you to choose from. Acuna is a top option on this team. Like you said, you know, it's his time to shine. But at the same time, you're telling your fan base, no, it, it doesn't matter what he did in spring training. We're going to hold, hold him back a little bit so we can save an extra dollar or two um, when it comes to arbitration. And at the end of the day, that's when it's not right. When it comes down to that, when it comes down to saving money or holding him back a year, is when that's when you send a message to your fan base by saying, we're not going to concern ourselves with winning right now. I sort of get it because if you're the Braves, you know you're not going to contend this year. I don't think the Braves are going to come anywhere close to being at the top of the NL East this year. Do I expect them to be better than they were last year? Definitely. I think the Braves are going to take a step forward this year in terms of the rebuilding phase. So I don't have a huge issue with them holding back Acuna. He'll come up eventually this year, and he will take control at some point in 28. You know, it's going to happen. But it does kind of irk me a little bit when the guy has such a good spring, and then you hold him back because you want to save an extra dollar or two in arbitration. That It does send the wrong message, especially to the fan base. I, I mean, this is guy's just dominated. Oh. Every part of the lead that he's been in, and just easily, it's it's just a silly move by the Braves. It's is one year going to make the difference? That's I know the Braves are very big on the rebuild. They have a ton of players in the farm system. They have seven of the top one hundred prospects. Five of them are pitchers. Uh, Okuna being, I think, the number one prospect in baseball, if not number one, he's what number two. Uh, you know, it does one year of an extra year of arbitration and an extra year of Ronald Acuna make the difference for the Braves? And I'm going to say no. If you're talking about, what, still four, five, six years down the line. And by that point, if you're not contending, that extra year is not going to matter because Acuna is probably not going to sign with you after that. So it, for... An organization, I understand wanting to try and keep them uh, for an extra year, but it doesn't really make a difference long term. And you're still going to have them pretty cheap for the first couple of years that you have them when you want to try and sign prospects. You have a great future ahead of you. And it does, I think, still send the wrong message when it comes towards this team that still just barely, just recently got a new stadium, brings up a guy like. Uh, Dan's by Swanson very early. This is one move that I think the Braves made a mistake on, and they should have had Okuna up early. He's going to be up in like two, three weeks anyway, but he should have been on this open day lineup because he extremely deserved to be there by just how much he has dominated baseball in every lead that he's been in, in every spot he's been up at the plate. And this is a silly move, uh, but... For the Braves, though, I mean, out of all the National League teams, we always hear about young prospects coming up. Uh, Victor Robos, Trey Turner are examples for the Nationals. Even further along the line was like Steven Stratford, Bryce Harper. The Phillies have three prospects that we're looking at already with Crawford, Kingley, and then Cito Sanchez, who's right now in the minor leagues. The Marlins have been trading everybody. The Mets with the young pitching. But, I mean, 
out of all teams, do the Braves stand out to you the most when it comes to these young prospects and the future? They do, because I feel like the Braves have the right mix of prospects currently. Um, I don't consider Philadelphia a rebuilding team anymore. I think we'll get to that in a second. Um, so when it comes down to all the teams in this division, I think the Braves are kind of the richest in prospects right now. Um, I think the Braves, for years, they've been stockpiling on pitching. Back when John Hart took over, you saw almost every trade they made in the beginning of the rebuilding stage was almost for pitchers in return. And I think that's a smart move. You know, Pitching wins championships. We've seen that. Um, look at these past teams that have won the World Series. It's all because of their pitching, most likely. And, you know, you, you get your pitches first and you worry about your position players second uh you know the Braves like we said Dansby Swanson's going to be a stud in this league Acuna is going to be a stud as well too and you still got guys like Freddie Freeman on the roster as well so the Braves aren't in bad shape I think they definitely stand out when it comes to prospects the question is are these prospects going to pan out because it's one thing to stockpile on prospects it's another thing to actually have them come through for you yeah I mean we're still talking about a team that holds what Arcona, Albies at second base as well. Five pitching prospects. Most of them, when we talk about pitching prospects, you know, you consider them in like single A, low A ball, where we haven't really seen them and how well they've done. That's the exact opposite when it comes to the Braves and their pitching prospects that, you know, multiple guys are in the top 30 or 40 on the top 100. These guys are in triple A. And the one guy that isn't, is a guy that pitched all the way into his senior year, uh, Kyle Wright, uh, for, I believe, Vanderbilt. And he's not one that's going to start in uh, low A ball because it would be too weak of a lead for him. The Braves are just putting him straight into double A. So it puts it into how well this Braves uh, team and how well the organization has been drafting prospects, have been picking up prospects into uh, their minor leads. Uh, certainly the Braves are a team I've got my eye on, on wondering when guys are going to get called up. And I don't know if the Braves are there to compete this year, but it's more of when we see guys like Kyle Wright and these AAA pitchers as well. Uh, I think Mike Sorota is one that stands out to me in AAA, come up into the big leads. That's what I'm really looking forward to with the Braves, especially with the Kuna. Uh, for the New York Mets... Uh, Dominic Smith right now in AAA. Adrian Gonzalez going to be the starting first baseman for the team. Uh, Gonzalez is not what the player he was beforehand. Uh, your thoughts on that one to begin with? Well, honestly, I, I sort of get it because Dominic Smith, you know, he did have a decent, um, you know, season last year when he got called up, right? He wasn't fantastic, um, but he was pretty good too as well too. His numbers with runners in scoring position and less than two outs or with two outs, was off the charts for Dominic Smith. I think Dominic Smith showed, showed a lot of maturity. Um, I believe weight was, was an issue last year. Uh, the team wasn't happy with how he got overweight towards the end of the year. Um, so I get it. He's a young player. He still has a lot to learn. And I understand the Mets' you know, thought process in saying, hey, let's send him down for a little bit. He'll be back sooner than later. And you know, in spring, he got hurt. So he didn't have a full spring training to prove to the Mets that he can start right away. So I I'm okay with them putting Dominic Smith to start the year in AAA. What I'm not okay with is space. I don't know how much Gonzalez has left in the tank. He had a terrible spring training. It's only been three games. He has a couple of hits at least, but I just don't think Gonzalez is the answer as a stopgap guy, especially when you have a guy named Wilmer Flores on your bench. And I understand they're probably going to try and platoon here and there, give Flores some playing time, 
But Wilmer Flores is very capable of playing every day for an extended period of time. This is a situation where I'd rather have Wilmer Flores play some first base, where I'd rather have Jay Brew space while Conforto's on the DL, and you could have Nimmo and Ligaris in the same outfield. You know, there's plenty of other options the Mets could have had at first base with Gonzalez. I think Gonzalez is just a guy that's going to end up being cut by the time May rolls around, maybe June, when Dominic Smith is ready to come up. Um, I, I didn't like the signing for Adrian Gonzalez. I don't like it now, and I think the Mets should give a lot more playing time to Flores and or Jay Bruce at first base. And again, put Nimmo or Ligaris in the outfield. I just don't like the idea of Gonzalez playing first base because yeah, I don't think he has much left in the tank. And I think sooner or later the numbers are going to show that too. Yeah, a little bit of breaking in and out there. Um, but in case anyone was uh, missing that, it was uh, Mets have a lot of different players that they can use, like Dominic Smith, who's in AAA, Wilmer Flores especially. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Wilmer Flores. And, you know, I know Todd Frazier's at third. He can also play some first. Like you mentioned, Jay Bruce is a great example who was playing some first base. Uh, at the end of the day, if you compare 162 games with Adrian Gonzalez or Player X on the New York Mets, I guarantee Player X is going to outplay Adrian Gonzalez. And you can put anybody in there that you mentioned, Jay Bruce, Wilma Flores, Dominic Smith. Uh, Frazier's a poor example because he can play first, but he's mainly a third baseman, especially with David Wright injured for what will seem like an eternity again. Uh, you know, it's, it's a questionable move, and Mets projected lineup before like spring training when they first signed Gonzalez was oh he's gonna hit behind Yoannis Cespedes and in between Yoannis and Todd Frazier and then by the time the end of spring he's nowhere to be found in that middle of the lineup for a projected uh, lineup for him. Long term this won't be the the right choice and the moment Dominic Smith is healthy is the moment I think you have to put Smith in there at first base. One of the other guys uh, that's Interesting, Brandon Nimmo, and I think you've been a huge fan of Nimmo for years. He had a really impressive spring. Conforto's hurt right now. He's going to try and get back as soon as he can. But how much are you looking at Nimmo for the Mets in center field? Well, you're right. I am a big fan of Brandon Nimmo. I feel like he is a good on-base guy. Um, I think he showed that late in the second half last year. He was constantly getting on base when he played every day. And the guy just really needed an opportunity to play every day. The problem is that the Mets outfield is so crowded, and this is one of the reasons why Jay Bruce signing, not that I don't like Jay Bruce, but man, at first, I'm happy that he's back. He brings the power back to this Mets lineup. But by bringing in Jay Bruce, it overcrowded this outfield again. And now you have a situation that when Michael Conforto comes back, the everyday outfield is going to be Suspidus, Conforto, and Jay Bruce. And you have a valuable players in Juan Lagares and Brendan Nimmo, as we're talking about Brendan Nimmo right now. And I think the thing is that is Nimmo's going to be just fine platooning with Juan Lagares. I think you can get away with both of those guys platooning against lefty and right-handed pitching as long as they're platooning and not playing every day. I love Brandon Nimmo, but I'm not sure if he's an everyday center fielder. Again, I like the idea of them platooning with Juan Lagares. But once Conforto comes back, the question is, then what do you do? Do you just keep Juan Lagares on the bench for the outfield as backups? I'm not entirely in love with that idea, which is, again, goes back to why I like Jay Bruce playing first base. Because then you could have Conforto play right field and keep Nimmo Lagares going in center field. But the question is, really, and like you said, is I don't know what the future holds for Brandon Nimmo. Because once Conforto gets back, I playing time realistically Nimmo is going to get. Yeah, that's that's a big question mark because I do like him as the leadoff hitter. Uh, when Conforto's 
obviously not in the lineup, and he should be back. I think best case scenario is looking at early May. I think it may take a little bit longer than that. Uh, just another one of the freak injuries the Mets had last season. But uh, with Nemo, you know, he holds his own defensively in center field. He's uh, he's not Juan Rodarius in seven, uh, center field, but he's obviously the clear better choice between Johannes Cespedes and Jay Bruce. Uh, great guy for on-base percentage, able to walk. Uh, and when you consider who's hitting behind him, I think Cespedes has been the guy that's considered for a two-spot or even a three. Uh, Jay Bruce, Todd Frazier. So the, the stats I don't think are going to be too impressive with Nimbo uh, with this first month, but I think they're going to be good enough that uh, I think Met fans are going to recognize that he has some really good talent and that he should be considered a guy that should be getting a lot of starting time, but it's going to be one of those challenges that I think the Mets had in 2017 that they'll have in 2018. There's just too many players and not enough spots in the lineup, and I think Nemo will be the odd man out when Conforno gets healthy. Uh, from there, you know, there's always the possibility of trading Juan Wadaris. I think that's something the Mets have always had as a possibility for the last, like, four years since he won the Gold Glove because of how good he is as a center fielder and an average hitter with the bat. Uh, but obviously, the biggest question surrounding New York Mets, and it's surrounding the New York Mets every single year. Can the New York Mets stay healthy in your mind? And you, and you know, Nick, it's funny. That's a question that we're always asking ourselves. And that's a question I'll never have the answer to, honestly. And it's an upsetting question because it's only been three games. But the, I really like this Mets team. I may not like the people that are on the roster at some aspects. Like, I don't like that they have Adrian Gonzalez. I still don't like that they have Drupal Cabrera. But as a unit, I really like this Mets team. Super relaxed. They have a new handshake that involves salt and pepper shakers, whatever that means. You know, this team looks super loose. And when you look at them from top to bottom, this team looks like a contender, doesn't it? You know, you have a pitching staff that's young and ready to go. You have an offense that, Nick, they scored nine runs on opening day without hitting a home run. When's the last time you said that the Mets scored a run without hitting a home run? You had to go way back. I love Mickey Calloway. I really think this is a guy that understands his players. I think he understands the new age of baseball. No offense to Terry Collins, but I think Terry Collins is extremely old school. I think Mickey Calloway is bringing baseball back to the Mets, and they're playing fundamentally sound baseball. And that's all there is to it. It's simple, it's clean, and the Mets are winning ball games. Again, we're only three games in, so I'm not going to praise them too much. But the Mets can be contenders, and I always felt like they could be. But the question is, can they stay healthy? And the realistic answer to that is I don't know. Because this pitching staff last year fell apart. Guys were getting bloody noses just by sneezing. You know, Conforto takes a swing, which is his job, and rips his rotator cuff. You know, it's just wild injuries left and right. I'm waiting for the one where the guy gets his hand stuck in a soda machine trying to grab a Diet Coke. Because, you know, that's that's a possibility, too, with this Mets team. I just don't know anymore how people are going to get hurt. And one of the things, two things surprised me about opening day, Nick. One, the Mets scored nine runs without hitting a home run. And two, nobody got hurt. But what happened day two? Jacob Ramey ended up having some soreness, and now he's hurt. Anthony Swarzak is headed to the DL. Hansel Robles is getting called up today. God help us, by the way. But, you know, already you're seeing injuries trickle left and right. And it's so upsetting because as a Mets fan, or even as a baseball fan, while a team with so much talent not get anywhere because of health concerns, it's a really frustrating feeling. If the Mets can stay healthy, I definitely see them as a wild card team. I think they can compete with the Nationals. I just think the Nationals are just a, a lot better than the Mets in every aspect. 
the Mets can hang with them. I don't know if they can beat them, but if they're not healthy, the Mets aren't going to be anywhere close to a wild card spot, especially when you have a lot of good teams in the National League this year. Yeah, obviously it's going to have to start with Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard. They're going to have to play full seasons. They're going to have to be on the mound making 30 starts each. Uh, you know, if the Mets are healthy, and when I say if, I mean like really capitalize those words uh, because it's such a rarity. But if they're healthy, yes, there is a possibility this team is a playoff team. And this team has the ability to contend in this division. Now, obviously, that also has to do with beating the Nationals, something the Mets only really was able to do the year they won the division. Uh, but there's just a lot of teams that are going to be very good in the National League this season. And the Mets have the advantage of, you know, you get to play the Phillies, you get to play the Marlins, you get to play Atlanta, and although Atlanta and the Phillies are improving, they're still Atlanta and the Phillies. They're not there yet. And when you're talking about that's three of the four teams you're mainly seeing for a season, that's a good start for the New York Mets. Uh, But health is going to be the biggest question for this team, and... It's going to be every Mets fan remark on it is going to be the word hopeful. And just hoping the best for it. Uh, And, you know, I don't know. And I don't think anyone's going to be able to say yes, they can stay healthy and no, they can't stay healthy. You could believe either one of them. It's just a wait and see process for the Mets. I don't think, though the Mets are going to be able to stay healthy. There's always something that happens to this team. And already this season, yeah, we already had the, uh, you can say there's already been two injuries and they've only played a few games. But in retrospect, you know, David Wright's not there. Michael Conforto's going to miss a month. Uh, Yoannis Cespedes is always the type of player that gets banged up. It's Adrian Gonzalez only hit the DL once in his career last year. But, I mean, he's not the most hands-on player that I expect to have a good year, even if he's healthy. Dominic Smith was hurt in spring training, a big reason why he wasn't on the opening day roster. So when we even say opening day, the Mets were healthy, they really weren't. And, and that's the Mets that we know. Uh, they're already missing three pieces when considerate. Um, bottom line, I think they're just going to miss out on the playoffs. But if they can stay healthy there is 100% a shot that the Mets can get to the playoffs. Rare on the division, but a better chance on the wild card, mainly because of who's in the division for this team. Speaking about another team in the division, the Philadelphia Phillies. Surprisingly, they spent some money in this offseason. Phillies went and signed Carlos Santana and Jake Arrieta, and it almost has that kind of feel that They're trying to get out of the rebuilding phase. They call up J.P. Crawford. They call up Kingley. Do you think the Phillies are on their way out of the um, rebuilding and are looking to try and contend? Yeah, I think they are. And when when I look at the Phillies, I know I don't consider them a rebuilding team anymore. I think a lot of their players are in place. Uh, I love J.P. Crawford at shortstop. I think Nick Williams is going to have a good year in the outfield. I think Reese Hoskins is going to keep building off of his, you know, his rookie season last year. Um, Carlos Santana, I like the signing, even though they overpaid for him. They clearly overpaid. But I do like the signing. It gives them that powerhouse first baseman. They could slap in the middle of the order. And all he has to do, he's going to hit home runs at Citizens Bank Park. It's a hitter-friendly park already. And for a guy like him, a switch hitter, he's going to be able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So I do like those signings. I think Aflalo is going to be a pretty good catcher. 
I thought this pitching staff was pretty good last year. It took a step. This entire team took a step backwards last year. But you have guys like Vince Velasquez and all the other guys that they got back in that Ken Giles trade. I still like this Phillies team. I think they have a lot of upside. I think they're going to be the most improved team this year. I still like Odubel Herrera. I think he's still pretty good. I think he's an everyday center fielder. And I think he's really a good leadoff man when it's all said and done. This Phillies team. And then they go out and sign Jake Arrieta, one of the biggest flashes of them all. Yes, it's a short-term deal. Yes, it's a lot of money within a three-year time frame. But I like this deal because what it does is it sends a message to their fan base by saying, hey, we may not have all the pieces just yet, but we're going to go out and get a guy like Arietta that's going to help us improve this team and at least compete for a wild-card spot. I don't think the Phillies are going to take down the Nationals, but I do think the Phillies can hang around and compete for that second wild-card spot with the team that they have now. I don't think they make the playoffs, but I do think the Phillies are right there competing for that second spot all year long. Yeah, with the Phillies, it's interesting because I, I do like their their young team squad. When you got, when you consider guys like Scott Kinley, uh, Malik Franco, who you know, obviously he's not clearly turned out to be the hitter that he kicked off as, but he still has the ability to hit twenty plus home runs, twenty five home runs. Average is a little bit question mark with Franco, but plenty of power. J.P. Crawford at shortstop. You have a guy like Cesar Hernandez who's pretty much going to be mixed in around all these young players. Carlos Santana. I like the bullpen that they have with them. Rice Hoskins, Aaron Othar, Adubo Herrera. This is a good team. This is a good young lineup. The pitching is going to be the big question mark because we've seen guys like you mentioned, Vincent Velasquez. Ever since he struck out 17 against the Mets, of course, every Mets fan's going to remember that, but uh, he really hasn't been the same. He's really struggled. Uh, Jared um, Eckhoff hasn't really gotten it going. Aaron Nola, you know, there there are signs when he's pitching phenomenal, and then there are just days where he's completely off. I really like the Jake Arrieta signing because I'm, it's more on the thoughts of if Arrieta can try and maybe get some of the starters in a rhythm, maybe just somebody that these young kids can look up to. Overall, though, I don't know if the Phillies are really ready to compete, but I certainly think the Phillies are out of that rebuilding phase because this is a good enough lineup that can play 162 games and certainly compete and hit the ball extremely well. Uh, Plenty of power when you consider this team. Uh, The bullpen's strong enough it's the starting pitching I have a lot of questions with. Uh, certainly some with health, uh, but overall just consistency from these young starters. That's my biggest uh, worry when it comes to the Phillies is consistency. But I'm very interested in the Phillies because, you know, a lot of times we've been seeing this division, and it's it's by far the weakest division in baseball for years. Uh, the Atlanta was out of it, Philadelphia was out of it, the Marlins are now out of it, the Mets were out of it. It was a one-team race for, what, six, seven years. Uh, so it's nice to see that a lot of these teams are finally bringing up those prospects after years and years of rebuilding. And we're seeing some hope that this division can really pan out to being one of the better divisions in all of baseball. But speaking about the wheat side of this division... We can't talk about that without mentioning the Marlins, who at this point are a dead fish out of water. Uh, you know, they traded everybody. They really gutted this team. No pun on words. But um, you look at it, and 
it's hard to find anything positive for the Marlins when it comes to going into this season. But out of all the trades, was there one that you really liked that is a positive for the Marlins? Yeah, I'm going to say the Giancarlo Stanton trade, and that might shock a lot of people. Um, you know, did the Marlins get full value back for Stanton? Probably not. Um, I think firsthand, we've seen Jorge Guzman firsthand um, that they got back from the Yankees. Um, he's going to be a pretty good pitcher, I think, one day. He's a stud. Um, I think he has the stuff. He just has some growing up to do, and not in a bad way. Um, I just think he needs to mature, um, you know, as a as a you know as a young pitcher. And I think he'll be in the big leagues. On uh, sorry, a uh, little bit of a technical issue. I think we've lost Jose for a moment. Uh, but Jose, if you can hear me, just jump back in when you can. Uh, so. Jose liked the Marlins trade on Gentile Stanton. I'm going to take a different side on that approach, and I'm going to say uh, a little bit of a technical difficulty right there, but we are back. Uh, Jose's back on the line. And, Jose, you were talking about the one trade that you really liked was the Marlins trade in Gentile Stanton to the Yankees, and uh, that was pretty much the pivotal moment of the Marlins basically selling everybody. But what really stood out to you in your mind? Well, yeah, dude, again, I apologize for technical difficulty, but I don't know if I got cut off before what I was about to say, is that the fact that they got Starlin Castro back in that deal, I think was a huge reason why I like the stay in trade. I do like Jorge Guzman. We've seen him up close and personal um, from his days in the Staten Island Yankees. I think he's a good kid. I think he's going to develop into a good young pitcher at the MLB level as soon as he gets a little more mature, and not in a bad way, but mature in a pitching way. Um, but Starlin Castro, the Marlins are going to trade everybody they can at the deadline. Justin Bohr is probably going to get dealt. JT Ramuto is probably going to get traded. And you could add Starlin Castro to that list. There's going to be a team that's going to need a second baseman. There's going to be a team that needs a second baseman that can hit a little bit. Um, I think Starlin Castro is the guy that you're looking at that's probably going to get flipped again at the deadline. So the Marlins traded away staying and got a couple prospects back, but they also have a guy they can also flip again at the deadline. Um, so when they look to trade again at the deadline, I think it's a good move getting another guy back that you can flip over like Castro. And Castro's going to have, you know, he had some great stats with the Yankees, but we're talking about a guy that's going to be, you know, batting in the third spot every single game for the Marlins and a guy like Justin Bohr with a lot of power hitting behind him. So he could have some elevated stats to, uh, to almost be an extra part of like a good trade bait. So you're looking at a guy and it's like, oh, well, Castro's got a lot of RBIs and a lot of runs stored. Uh, his home runs aren't really there, but overall his numbers are very strong, and that's always what he's been since he was on Chicago and first came up into the big leagues. Uh, you know, the one trade that really stood out to me is, uh, I was talking about it a little bit before we did get cut off and jumped back in, was uh, Christian Yelich. And yes, I, a lot of people love Christian Yelich. This is a guy that can steal 20 bases, hit over 20 home runs, a lot of potential when it comes to RBIs and runs stored. Very good defensively. Really a five-tool player. And that can get overstated a lot. But this is a guy that can pretty much do it all for you. And one of the pieces they get back in that trade is Luis Brinston. And I, I really am a fan of Brinston. This guy that's going to be leading off for the Marlins, he's got, in my mind, 20-20 type potential. Uh, the average is going to be a little bit of a question mark for me. He's a guy that can strike out a little bit more, but still the same potential to hit the same amount of home runs, have 
plenty of uh, runs stored, steel bases. Going to have some good RBI moments. It might not come this year with the Marlins, but overall has the ability. And for that to be the prime piece that the Marlins were able to get for Christian Yelich, that's a good replacement piece right off the bat. And again, very controllable contract, years of arbitration, first rookie season. To begin with that and to get more pieces from the Brewers, that's to me is the standout trade. Uh, obviously, when you talk about the Marlins, they gave up Gentile Stanton, who hits 59 home runs, finishes with the MVP. They traded away D. Gordon, over 100 runs scored, 60 stolen bases, over a 300 average. They traded away Marcelo Zuna, one of the top RBI guys in baseball, Christian Yelich, a guy that can do it all. Is the Marlins, are the Marlins going to finish with the least amount of wins in baseball this season because of just everything that they gave up and the team that they have you know, right now? I think it's a high possibility. When you think of the worst teams in the league this year, I mean, you're probably going to throw the Marlins in the mix. Um, definitely Detroit, I think, is going to be in the mix too. Uh, maybe Tampa Bay, depending on how they play this year and what happens over there, um, if they trade Chris Archer or not. But really, when I think about it, you know, maybe if you want to throw Cincinnati in the mix too, I feel like a lot of teams are taking a, a step forward this year, so there's not going to be that many flat-out awful teams, uh, but the Marlins are going to be one of those awful teams. So I think it's a very high possibility that the Marlins end up with the worst record, with the least amount of wins. I think the only team that has a chance of beating that category is probably the Detroit Tigers. Um, but again, I think the Marlins, they traded away a lot in the offseason, as you said. They're not done trading. Me and you both know they're going to trade whoever's breathing in the locker room at this point at the deadline. So... I do expect the Marlins to probably end up with the least record. If not, probably definitely Detroit. Um, but I think the Marlins are the favorite. If they're ever a favorite to do anything, it's a favorite to end up with the least right Atlanta wins this year. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like we said, Stalin Castro is still a good chance that he gets traded. JT Romuto is going to begin the season pretty much on the DL. Uh, but obviously there are so many teams that could use a catcher that has the ability to steal, lead off for you, that has the ability to hit over... 300, a 290 hitting catcher. Uh, Justin Bohr, uh, he finished with, I think, 25 home runs, but is one of the most powerful hitters in baseball. I think we saw a little bit of a glimpse of that when the home run derby obviously featured a lot more of Aaron Judge and Chantal Stanton, but one of the participants in it was Justin Bohr. Uh, so there are still three pieces that this team could relatively trade. Uh, before the trade deadline if they want to. And I'm still a big fan of Derek Dietrich, who's, I think, like a mini version of Ben Zobrist. Uh, so if forever the, the Marlins picked up a couple of wins in a row, they could always trade a couple pieces away uh, to ensure that they could finish with the least amount of wins in baseball this year. Uh, which leaves us with one team left in this division, the Washington Nationals. And... Are the Nationals the clear favorite to win this division? And if so, I mean, this is a team that seems to be constantly getting knocked out of the playoffs in the first year. Do they need to go and have a big year in the playoffs, get far into the playoffs in order to try and keep Bryce Harper for next season and beyond? Yeah, I think this is a very important year for the Washington Nationals. You know, they have a new manager this year and Dave Martinez. And I think you said it, you know, you, you, the key point right there is they keep getting knocked out in the first round. Uh, every year, we're going to pick the Nationals to win the NL East. The question is, can they get past that first round? 
And I would say it's World Series or bust for the Nationals, but the problem is they never get out of the first round, so I don't feel like I can say that. So it's almost an NLCS or bust for the Washington Nationals with the way they play because this is a team that has no more excuses. You know, they have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, whether it's Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, Gio Gonzalez, who had a huge bounce-back season last year, Tanner Roark, who's the fourth man in their rotation, can be the ace of any other team probably in the National League. He's fantastic. And you have guys like Joe Ross in the back end, who's not a slouch either. This Nationals team has all the tools that it can to succeed. They need to start winning. Uh, Adam Eaton was a good trade last year. He didn't get to play, of course, because of the injury. So we're going to see a full season of Adam Eaton this year. And it's like you said, not only is, I don't want to say legitimacy on the line, because, you know, the Nationals have a reputation now for just getting out in the first round. And, you know, at some point you have to start winning in order to be respected and to be a legit contender, because every year we're just going to expect you to make the playoffs and get out. But also, you know, Bryce Harper is a free agent at the end of the year. And Bryce Harper can say all he wants, how much he loves D.C., and how he loves it in Washington. But what it comes down to is also winning. And guys like Bryce Harper, they like to win. They want to win rings. They want to win championships. They also want to make money, too. And I don't know if Washington's going to have enough in the bank to keep Bryce Harper entertained when you have teams like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, who are basically going to throw open checkbooks at the guy and try and get him to come to their team. You could throw the Cubs in the mix, too. I think it's very likely he ends up in Chicago. That's my team early season prediction that try and gets uh, Bryce Harper. But if you're the Nationals, to me, the only way Bryce Harper comes back is if you win a World Series and say, hey, we can do this again. We just need you to be here. Um, but you need to prove it to Bryce Harper, too, that the team can win. And it hasn't been that way for the past couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see if the Nationals actually get over the hump and actually make it past the first round this year. But yeah, like you said, it's very, very important if they want to keep Bryce Harper around. Yeah, um, that, that's the key. Uh, they're, they're the clear favorite to win the division, like you said. They get knocked out in the NLDS every single year, uh, a different way each year. Th- this is it. This is the key season for them. Because I would again say if they don't win, and Bryce Harper has to watch the playoffs after the NLDS and see teams like the Cubs, the Dodgers, uh, the Yankees, but that's a poor example because I don't think there's any, any spot to put them at this point. And we're, we're talking about one of the best players in baseball. Um, but also the Angels. I, I think those are the three favorites outside of Washington that have the best chance of signing Bryce Harper. And... This is going to be the year that you have to say, if you're Washington, you're the organization, and you want to re-sign Bryce Harper, it's, hey, we have all the pieces. We have everything of a World Series team. But we can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. And we have you for those years that we can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. That's not going to work. You have to say, hey, we got to the NLCS. We, we just came a game short of missing it to the World Series. Or, we got to the World Series, you see that we're a full team, you see that we are we are a game away, and we're going to add you back and another piece to win that World Series. That's the way you're going to get Bryce Harper to resign with Washington. Because every team that can afford him is going to pay him. But how you get him to resign and choose Washington is you have to win with him. You have to win playoff games with Bryce Harper and show that you are there to win championships. 
And I think this is going to be almost for the Nationals, not World Series or bust, but win in the playoffs or lose Bryce Harper. Because I can't see them saying, hey, we missed the playoffs, or hey, we're out in the first round again, and Bryce Harper's going to be totally fine with it. Because that just, it doesn't seem like his personality to not want to win. At the end of it, though, Jose, give us your division rankings. Who f- wins this division from first to fifth? So first place, I have the Washington Nationals. Like you said, this team is too stacked. Um, they're the favorite every year, and for a good reason. because they get the job done, they win. Uh, this is the best rotation in baseball. One of the best rotations in baseball by far, in my opinion. Again, you don't lose when you have a rotation of Strasburg, Scherzer, Gonzalez, Roark, and then you have a guy like Joe Ross cleaning up the back end. Um, you know, that those are pitchers that are capable of, of you know being a number two or three starter or even an ace on any other anybody else's team. Um, so I think this team is just too talented and too stacked. A full year of Adam Eaton, uh, like you said, one of their best prospects is probably going to come up later on this year as well too. So I have the Nationals in first place. Um, and maybe you'll find out if I pick them to get past the first round this year or not. Um, but they're definitely going to end up winning the NL East. In second place, I'm going to have the New York Mets. I think they're going to get a wild card spot this year. I think it'll be the second wild card spot. I think the Mets are going to stay relatively healthy all year long, which is a bold statement uh, coming from a Met fan like myself. But I think this team is just so relaxed. It's such a different team than it was last year mentality-wise. You could already tell. I think Mickey Calloway is a genius of a human being. Uh, you know, this is a guy that coached one of the best rotations in baseball for the past three years. You know, you have Dave Island as a pitching coach who's also been coaching one of the best rotations in baseball for the past couple of years. Um, I, I think they got it figured out. I think the bullpen is going to be a huge success this year for the Mets, which is a rare thing to say. I like Familia. I like Ramos. I like that they're probably going to have Lugo and Gazelman coming out of the pen this year. I think Robert Gazelman's going to be a huge X factor for the Mets all year long coming out of that bullpen. I think he's going to take a huge step forward when it comes to being a good relief pitcher. Um, so I have the Mets finishing in second place, but also with the second wild card spot. Um, in the National League. Third place, I have the Phillies. I think they're going to take a big step forward this year. Like I said before, I can see them competing for that second wild card spot, but I just can't see them taking it all the way yet. I think there's going to be some growing pains with guys like J.P. Crawford and Nick Williams, but I do like their young core. I like their young pitching, and I think they're going to take a giant step forward. They're probably going to be the most improved team this year, in my opinion. See them making the playoffs just yet. Fourth place, I have the Braves. Really, it's going to be an arm, you know, a race for fourth between the Braves and the Marlins. The Braves have Acuna coming up. I think he's going to help them win a couple games. And, of course, the Marlins and the Marlins. I don't need to explain that. I think they finish with either the worst or the second-worst record in baseball, and they end up in last place. So Nationals win the division. Mets with the second wild-card spot. I have the Phillies in third, Braves fourth, and, of course, the Marlins rounding it out in last place. Okay, so in our first podcast of our t- episode 25, we did the American League. Uh, we had the same five teams making the playoffs, uh, which teams won the division, who finished with the wild card, and second wild card. We're going to go over that later on uh, towards the end of the podcast. But we are going to have our first difference here, because uh, I have the Nationals winning the division, easily taking it. I think it's just another year of just National League. Uh, the Washington Nationals dominating the NL East, and why not? I mean, like you said, Tanaroa, it's the fourth starter. Fifth starter is between A.J. Cole and Jeremy Hellitson when he gets healthy. Victor Robles is going to come up at some point this year, and I think he's he is as good as all the potential shows. Uh, I think he's much better than a guy like Michael Turner. 
uh, Michael Taylor and uh, Brian Goodwin, although both of those guys are having a good first three games into the season, long-term Victor Robles gives you a better option. And again, this is a team that doesn't even have, I don't think, um, fully healthy yet. But it, when they're healthy, they're one of the most dominant teams in baseball. They're easily going to dominate this National League East. It's whether they can do that beyond that point. Uh, the Mets have finished in second. Uh, hopefully they stay healthy, but they are not making uh, the playoffs. I don't have them as a wild card team. So that's our first differential when it comes to the playoffs. Third, Braves. Okuna, the big reason why. I really like Julio Tehran. Uh, Ozzy Albies at second base. Freddie Freeman. But Okuna's has as high potential as Mike Trout, which we never heard of until Mike Trout came to the big leads. Uh, this is a guy I'm really buying into. I think he's going to come into the MLB and just fully dominate. I think that can rejuvenate this team even further with these young players. And when you have a guy that has Mike Trout potential, you're going to win games just because of that. And I think we're going to see that happen for the Atlanta Braves. A big reason why they're going to push past the Phillies for that third spot. Phillies, I have at fourth. I really like this offense that they have every day. They still have question marks of who's going to be that fourth outfielder. They're going to be switching it up between Aaron um, Arthur, uh, Herrera, and Nick Williams. You know, overall, I, I don't love that. I really would rather see one guy win the job and the, uh, basically just go with switching off with one or the other for the other spot, but that shouldn't be the big question mark for me. They're still better than the, Mar- uh, the Marlins at the end of the day. And, you know, Marlins... Like you said, if they don't finish with the worst record in baseball, they're finishing with the second worst record in baseball. They're just not good enough to go out there and win consistency. I don't know how many series they're actually going to win, but it's not going to be many at the end of the day because besides not having many hitters, this team has nothing when it comes to pitching. Uh, Credit Ian Happ for hitting the first pitch Jose Urena throws in the first game of the 2018 season for a solo home run, and that basically sums up the Marlins' year. First pitch, down one nothing, season over. Uh, but let's get into the NL Central. Uh, NL Central, a lot of big additions. Christian Yelich came into the NL Central through a trade. Marcelo Zuna through a trade. Hugh Darvish and Lorenzo Cain both signs. Uh, out of all these big signings and trades, which one stands out to you the most? I mean, I think it was a trade for um, that the Brewers did for. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think Marcelo Suna, I think, was a big, big time signing uh, trade for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think this is a team that they whiffed on trying to get Giancarlo Stanton. So I really think that bringing in Asuna really helps the Cardinals. Um, I think it gives them that pop. I don't think it's enough for St. Louis, but in terms of which one was the biggest impact, I feel like that's the one that's going to have the biggest impact on the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say the Cardinals, but uh, mainly because they didn't have a three-hitter, four-hitter uh, like Olzuna at all in the lineup last season. But I'll take the flip side, and I'll go Lorenzo Cain. You know, the Brewers, I think this is a good addition. We're already seeing him have three steals to start off the year. A guy that can hit 300, lead off for them. Uh, much better of a defensive player than what the Brewers already have in the outfield around them. And 
when you consider that he's going to be leading off and hitting in front of guys like Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Eric Thames at times, it just it's going to create early one nothing leads for the Brewers in games. And I really like Lorenzo Cain as being that big impact player for the team. Uh, I think I'm taking a rare one here by the signing, but you know it's a good deal and a good contract overall that the Brewers were able to get out of Lorenzo Cain. But let's start with the Cardinals. Like you said, they just added Marcelo Zuna. However, they lost Lance Lynn. And the Cardinals, you know, as much as I like the offense, there's a little bit question marks when it comes to this rotation in my mind. They have Carlos Martinez, Adam Wainwright, Michael Watto, Luke Weaver, and Miles Mitolas. Um, but do you trust this rotation enough for a full season to really get this Cardinal team back into the playoffs? I do not. Um, you know, and Wainwright is already going to miss some time with some injury. I think losing Lance Lynn was a huge blow um, to this Cardinals pitching staff. I know he had Tommy John recently, but Lance Lynn was one of those guys that you can count on for 30 starts a year. Uh, I think Lance Lynn was a very consistent pitcher, and you knew you were getting out of Lance Lynn every time he took the mound, too. So to me, the loss of Lance Lynn is huge. Michael Walker hasn't really been the same since that impressive rookie season that he had when he was in the playoffs. And Carlos Martinez, you know, a lot, a lot of people like to consider him the ace of the staff, but I look at him as a very, very question. Uh, when I think of ace pitchers, Carlos Martinez does not stand out to me as an ace. I don't consider him an ace, though, when it comes down to it, when it's all said and done. I don't know how far I can trust Carlos Martinez when the lights ma- when the lights are the brightest and, the, you know, things matter the most. I don't know if I'm picking Carlos Martinez to go out there in a one-game playoff to get the job done. Um, is he a great pitcher? Of course he is. I just don't know if he's an ace out there. Also for the Cardinals, not just their rotation, but like I said, they were in on Giancarlo Stan. They missed. They traded for Marcelo Osuna. I do think this Cardinals team does need another bat in there to help out Osuna, especially with the power game. They have a lot of guys that get on base. They have a lot of guys that can get a hit. But who's that guy that's going to drive in runs? I don't think he's very existent right now on a team like this. Yadier Molina is slowly breaking down. Paul DeJong is an is a impressive rookie. Um, but again, a lot of guys that get on base, but who's the guy that's going to drive them in? I think the Cardinals need to look for at the deadline another guy in that middle of the order that's going to help drive in runs too. Yeah, I look at really the Cardinals as that middle-of-the-pack team. I, I just don't look at them and say, hey, this is a Cardinal team that we remember in years prior, and that was our pool holes like days that can completely just be one of the best teams in baseball. That's not what the Cardinals are anymore. They are really just a middle-of-the-pack team. Look, I love Yadier Molina. He has the potential to be a Hall of Famer, if not already considered uh, one of the best defensive catchers of all time. But he's not working with the greatest pitching staff. Carlos Martinez, I love. He's an ace. Adam Wainwright's no longer. Michael Watch is a guy that has over a four ERA consistently. Luke Weaver, people have a lot of potential for, but he's a guy that I consider Michael Watcher-esque. Uh, if not, maybe just a smear worse than Michael Watcher because you don't get as much strikeouts uh, with Weaver than you do as Watcher. And, you know, a fifth starter is a fifth starter at the end of the day. Young potential, the kid hit a home run uh, in his first game this season, which is great, but, you know, overall, I'm not really sold on any fifth starter and being like, oh, that's going to be the key piece for your team. So, you know, the the Cardinals, I think they're the, the middle-of-the-pack team in this division. They're 
better than the Reds and the Pirates, but they are not up to the Cubs level and or the Brewers level. And this is a team that's going to be maybe 500, maybe a little worse, maybe a couple games over, but just not good enough in my mind to be competing uh, for that second wild card spot because they're just not better than the better teams in the National League, and there are plenty of good teams in the National League this season. Uh, one of the better teams in the NL Central, the Chicago Cubs. Now, they added you Darvish and easily have one of the best rotations in the lead. Uh, this is a really deep uh, roster, and we were saying that for years, but now it's to the point where Ben Zobrist is a backup. A guy that can play pretty much every position on the field is just a backup for this Cubs team. Uh, that's how good the rotation looks, that's how good the lineup looks, but Really, the one question I have is this bullpen. Brandon Morrow's expected to open the season as the closer. Carl Edward uh, Jr. to set up for the team. So, Jose, do you have faith in this bullpen for all season long? Or do you see what the Nationals did last season at the trade deadline happening on the top side this year? Yeah, I think I definitely do. I mean, you saw the Cubs last year. They went out and they had to get Wade Davis at the deadline because they really didn't trust Hector Rondon anymore. And I still don't know if the Cubs actually trust Rondon to get the job done when it's all said and done for them. Um, I think the bullpen is the one true weakness that this team actually has. And it may not be a big weakness because, you know, you have starting pitchers that can go six or seven innings, so Joe Maddon may not need to use too many relievers. But I think when it's all said and done, you're going to see the Cubs make a trade. Because if the Cubs really want to get deep into October again, and they really want to make a World Series run, they're going to need a better bullpen than what they got now. And I'm telling you right now, I do not trust Brandon Morrow enough to be the closer of this team. Yes, he had some good years in L.A. for the past couple of years, but you still need experience when it comes down to the ninth inning. Um, not just anybody can get it done in the ninth inning, and the Cubs are going to need an experienced closer when it's all said and done. Um, I think it was a big mistake not bringing back Wade Davis, uh, but for the Cubs, I could definitely see them doing what the Nationals did last year. And that's bring in not just one guy, but a couple of guys to give them a couple of options this year. You know, the one hope uh, for the Cubs, I mean, they've been shut out the last two games, one nothing, it sits nothing. But, you know, there's not going to be a, a many safe situation games. You would expect guys like John Lester, Hugh Darvish, Kyle Hendricks to keep a low-scoring game. Uh, the same uh, can be said for Jose Quintana. Uh, you expect these guys to not give up many runs. Whereas on the flip side, you would expect this offense to just blow away teams on a consistent basis because of just like Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo in the middle of the lineup. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when you consider how stacked this lineup is on an everyday basis. But you still need a bullpen. And if you don't need a bullpen for the regular season as much, you damn well need it for the playoffs. We're seeing that so often, so much of a factor that starters are just you know, irrelevant after the fifth or sixth inning at some games during the playoffs. And this is a Cubs team that, you know, easily I think we both have them in the playoffs. It's just this bullpen should, is not right now in my mind nearly strong enough, and I do expect them to try and do what they did a couple of years back when they traded for just Chapman. And I think you're going to see the Cubs look to do the same thing again uh, this season and try and trade for a relief pitcher or two uh, and try and add somewhere along the line a closer and another setup man and just two extra pieces 
for this bullpen when it comes to playoff time towards the trade deadline. But for now, this team should be fine. The offense will lead this team throughout the entire season. And I don't expect many struggles for the Cubs. On the Pirates side, the Pirates traded away pretty much their captain and face of the team in Andrew McCutcheon to the San Francisco Giants. We saw the uh, the Rays do the same thing with the Giants when trading Evan Longoria. Uh, you know, the Pirates, they have some nice up-and-coming pieces, but with this division being really more of a two-headed race, does this seem like it will be just a rebuild season for the Pirates? Well, I'm very hesitant to call it a rebuild, um, only because I don't feel like the Pirates are that far away from competing still. Like you said, they do have some prospects. They have the fact that... Um, uh, you know, they do, they do have, you know, like Tyler Glass now. They do, they do have James Talion. And they do have a lot of good young pitchers still that are into MLB or are probably going to come back to the MLB later this year. They still have Starling Marte. They still have Gregory Polanco. You know, they have Josh Harrison, who said he wanted to be traded, but they're not going to compete. But, you know what, for the Pirates, I think what this was um, in trading away McCutcheon was not to say, hey, we're headed towards a rebuild. I think they're trying to say that, hey, we need to retool things a couple here. And they got a, they got some good prospects back in return for McCutcheon. So if you're the Pirates, you're clearly saying, hey, McCutcheon's getting a little bit older. You know, he's coming up on free agent soon. We don't want to overpay him to stay an older player to stay here, especially when we have other outfield prospects as well, too, coming up. So for the Pirates, I think they're telling their fan base simply, hey, we're just retooling. We're not rebuilding. We just traded away Andrew McCutcheon. Yes, I know it's hard to trade away the face of your franchise, but what we got back in return is going to help us in the short term. I really don't think the Pirates are that far away from coming back into contention. I don't think the Pirates are going to contend this year, but I do see the Pirates being contenders again as soon as maybe next year. No, I, I, I'm not as sold on the Pirates. I, I, I think they're far away. I, I like the pitching staff, but I like the pitching staff if you know it was separated around you know multiple pitchers being like considered three starter or four starter for a team. Uh, Jameson Talion, yes, I like him, but he's not an ace. Uh, Chad Cole, I like him, but he's not a three starter. I, Williams, he threw, I think, six no-hit innings against the Tigers, I believe, but he's not a two starter. This team is in my mind, very far off. I, I like Josh Bell. I, I like Starlin Marte. Colin Moran, but th- this team is far away. And I'm not going to say they're anywhere near uh, competing this season. I-, I think they're much of a uh, worse of a team than they were in years prior. And this is also a team that lost Garrett Cole and traded him away to Houston. So I don't even think you put in the right mindset for this for the players around this organization when they go into this season saying, hey, our ace is gone. Our star center fielder is gone, who once won the MVP. Uh, no, there's there's not much to look in, into this. It's it's for me, it's a rebuild year for the Pirates, and it's hoping the best that a lot of these young kids continue to play very well. As a Josh Bell, I'll be looking at him extremely uh, from first base. He's got a lot of power and a lot of potential, but the Pirates, I view, are, are a long way. Uh, away, and I think it's it's just the start for Pittsburgh. They had a nice run, but I think we're going to see Pittsburgh pretty much fall off for a few more years 
before they're ready to compete again. I, uh, you know, another team that doesn't really have a lot of pitching. You know, we spoke about that with a little bit of the Pirates and you know, Cardinals. I don't think either one of us consider them to have really a lot of pitching around them. But the Reds, this is a team that really has nobody. Luis Castillo, again, a high prospect is what they're considering their ace as. Homer Bailey, I mean, maybe if this was, what, 2008 we're considering talking about him as a two-starter or an ace. But the Reds just have a lot of mitts of injury-prone players like Homer Bailey and a lot of youth around them. But is this another year for Joey Votto stuck on a rebuilding Reds team? Yeah, and again, this is another situation where obviously Joey Votto is face of the team. He's obviously the team captain in the Reds over there. This team has no pitching whatsoever. They do have some young bright spots. I love their catcher, Tucker Barnhart. Um, he had an insane um, you know, percentage in caught stealing last year with throwing out runners. Um, he ended up winning a gold glove, and no one really knew who he was at that point uh, when he won that gold glove. But And this is a situation where I don't know if you agree here, Nick, the Reds are probably going to be in last place in this division. I have them penciled in in last place in the NFL. But this is a situation. This is another year where I feel like the Cincinnati Reds organization has to look themselves in the mirror and say, we need to trade Joey Votto. I think this Reds team has been rebuilding for how many years now? It seems like forever. They're not going to get anywhere unless they trade away a guy like the caliber of Joey Votto. I know it's very hard to do. Why? Because he's a face of your franchise. But he's also owed an insane amount of money over the next, what, five Four years, maybe. I'm not sure how long ago he signed that eight-year contract, but I think the Cincinnati Reds can benefit tremendously by trading Joey Votto away, stockpiling on a couple of prospects, and really trying to hit on each one, because the Reds just aren't going anywhere. It's a rebuild phase that's stuck in the mud here, and I don't see them going anywhere as long as, long as Joey Votto is occupying first base. I don't, I don't view Joey Votto as the, uh, the problem. I, I don't like the team. No, I'm not saying he's the problem. I'm just saying this team is not getting better, though. And there's no point of wasting Joey Votto's talents there. I think you should trade Joey Votto to help make this team better. I think, they, I think they're a better team without Joey Votto, not because Joey Votto's a problem, but because this team is just not hitting on their prospects. You know, um, I'm a little bit different on that one. I think they're closer than most, pe- uh, most people are expecting them. I, they don't have the average. They're, this is a team that will not hit for average. Adam Duvall, Jesse Winker, Billy Hamilton, um, Eugenio Suarez, they're not going to hit for average. What they have is a lot of power. This is a team that has a lot of power around this lineup. I love Iglesias as their closer, uh, but they are missing some starters. You know that That's clear as day, and, and part of that has to do with, you know, Anthony DiStalfani has pretty much missed Missed all of 2017. He's starting this year injured. Uh, 2016, he was injured for a lot of it. Uh, so it's hard to bank yourself on a starter that hasn't really played in nearly two years. But when he was healthy, he was very good. Brandon Finnegan, uh, most remember him when he was a Royal uh, because he pitched in the College World Series and in the World Series the same year. Uh, I think he's the only player to ever do that. But he's starter potential, but he's also injured right now. I, I like the team. I don't like their starting pitching. And I think they're, they're a couple starters away. I would have loved to have seen the Reds say, hey, let's go out and sign Alex Cobb. Or hey, let's sign Jake Arrieta. Or let's sign you Darvish. Or, because all of a sudden, if they sign two of those players, I think we're talking about the Reds in a whole different 
a view of the team. So I, I don't think they're they're trade Joey Votto rebuild still away. I think they're just we have to sign a player or two. And so I, I think the Reds, this is still going to be a missed year. I think they finish in the bottom of the division again. But I really like this offense. And I think this offense has a great potential to hit a ton of home runs, not hit much for average. But they're just a starter or two away in health. Maybe three starters away, and you have to really spend a lot this offseason. And that is a far distance when you're talking about a pitching staff. But that's what they're just missing at the end of the day, just the pitching staff, and we're looking at the Reds in a whole different uh, view. I think the Pirates are further along the line than that. But last team on this list is the Brewers. Now, Brewers finished just missing the wild card. They led the division for a while. Then in the offseason, they add Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. Can they make the playoffs this year for this team, or do you not trust that rotation either? I do like this Brewers team. Um, I really like the trades for Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. I think it makes their outfield defense almost fantastic. Um, you know, you still have Keon Broxton there as well, too. And the one weakness, as you pointed out, is a starting rotation. I don't like the, the pitching for this team. Uh, I think it's their one true weakness. However, you still have guys that you're hanging on to, like Santana, the young outfielder who hit, what, 30 home runs last year? They have a lot of guys there, um, you know, including a guy like Ryan Braun, who they can flip for some pitching. Now, maybe not Ryan Braun directly, but they do have some other players that were on their team last year that are not getting playing time that are in the minors. And I think this team has a bunch of prospects to flip for a true starter ace, maybe someone like Chris Archer from Tampa Bay, someone who's not going to be so heavy on the contract that they can trade for years of control and trade away these young players, even someone like Keon Broxton, maybe they trade away for a top starting pitcher. Maybe not him in particular, but they do have a lot of outfield options they can trade away since they got Yelich and um, and Kane as well too in the off season. Um, but I love these moves by the Brewers. I think they're they were crazy crazy team to watch last year. Very powerful team. I think this year they're even better. Uh, I really like Kane and Yelich added to this lineup. The power is still there. I think this team is a little bit better hitting average-wise. But I do like the fact that um, this team got better uh, in the offseason. Um, and I truly believe that they're going to take a giant step forward. They need some pitching, but I think the Brewers are going to go and pitching at the deadline, honestly. Yeah, like you said, Keon Broadston, he, he's a guy that had a lot of potential last season, starting the year in AAA, just because there's just no room on the team. Santana... Like 30 home runs. Uh, Jesus Aguilar, a guy that in 2017 hit 16 home runs and less than 300 at bats. So we're talking about a guy that, you know, if he gets some actual like potential to start a lot of games this season, he could have like 25 home runs plus. You know, they have a lot of offensive pieces, but they are short on the rotation. Chase Anderson, I really like as a starter. He's he is getting to that ace potential. He is the ace of this team. Most teams, he's probably not an ace, but he still has that top of one, two star potential. Jimmy Nelson, guy that's going to miss, uh, I think, all the way up to like June or July for the team. But when he gets back, he's again a guy that has that ace to two starter potential. Is that Davies? Uh, 
you know, but they, from there, they're going to have to make a trade. And whether they try and trade Jesus Aguilar, whether they try and trade Keon Broadston or Santana, uh, I doubt Ryan Braun. I'd rather them keep Braun. But they're going to have to trade somebody or two and to add a pitcher. And this is where I, I think I completely agree with you. This is where you got to call Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's got a lot of pitchers, and they need some extra offense. That, that's the route to go. And I think it's just a matter of time before we see the Brewers try and do that middle of the year to add another starter. And I think that would be best for the team to do so. Uh, but as of right now, I think the Brewers, as a team already, is good enough to make the playoffs. So, Jose, with that in mind, we covered all five teams. Who do you have winning this division? Well, this might surprise some people. My NL Central Division winner is the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, they were a surprise. I love watching their uh, their their crazy offense last year. Um, they bring in Lorenzo Cain. They bring in Christian Yelich. Good hitters, power hitter, contact hitters. Makes their defense fantastic with Broxton in the center field. Again, their one weakness is pitching, but I do see them getting a pitcher. I can see them trading for them trading someone like Santana to Tampa Bay. I do think they trade Ryan Braun this year just to get him out of that cluttered outfit off this cluttered team. You know the relationship between Ryan Braun and the Brewers has been the same since the whole steroid. So you take Brewers team is ready to roll. Again, there's certain, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's a three-team race. I think it's between the Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals. But the Cubs and Cardinals have some flaws that I'm not liking. I love the Brewers right now. I think this offense is ready to click. Again, they need there. They need someone like Chris Archer. I think they go and get him at the deadline. I think the Brewers make an extra push, and they end up taking the NL Central. And so it's going to be the Chicago Cubs. I also have them get in the first wildcard spot because this Cubs team, again, still a dynamic team, still ready to roll. This offense is crazy. Still a lot of great young hitters. But that one weakness that really concerns me is that bullpen. And I think in a division like this where you have three teams that can make the playoffs, and I include the Cardinals in that mix too, they could make the playoffs, but it comes need a strong bullpen. I could see them making a trade at the deadline, but that bullpen is really going to concern me at least for the first half of the season. I still think because make the playoffs, I have a second team, second place in the NL Central. And third, I have the Cardinals. Again, I just can't trust that rotation outside of Wainwright when he comes back from being healthy. Carlos Martinez is not a true ace in my eyes. I don't trust Michael Walker. He's never really been the same since that first year. You know, Mikolas and, and Weaver, they're good, but can they really be that great when the Cardinals need them to? I do in that lineup. I don't know who's available out there, honestly, for them to go get. Maybe they get a guy like Justin Bohr at the deadline to help them out, but I don't know if the Cardinals are going to visit that idea or if they like what they have um, where they stand right now. But I don't think offense is enough, and Yardin Molina is slowly breaking down in my eyes, too. In fourth place, I'm going to have to roll with the Pittsburgh this is very sim- similar to the NL East where I have the Pirates and the Reds competing for fourth and fifth to stay out of last place. I like the Pirates a little bit better. Um, even though they traded Garrett Cole away, I think the Pirates obviously have better pitching than the Reds because the Reds literally have no one compared to the Pirates who actually have people who are breathing and have a pulse. Um, so I think the Pirates get it done. I-, I think the Pirates are, you know, they're a little bit better than the Reds. Um, but when it's all said, the Pirates get fourth place and the Reds will fifth so, for me, I have the Cubs winning the division. You know, this is still one of the best teams in baseball. Although they don't have really the bullpen that I like, 
they still have a great pitching staff, four top starters. Uh, even to throw in there, this is just an offense that not many teams have around them. I think the Cubs can run away with this division, and I'm going to say last year was more of a, a fluke issue. I think they were just coming off of the World Series high and didn't really kick it into deer till well over 100 games into the season. Because a lot of times when we were talking about the Cubs and Brewers last season, it was not really buying into the Brewers winning the division. It was more, you know, when are the Cubs just going to come in and take over this division? When are the Cubs coming in to take over the division? And it took much longer than I thought it was, but the Cubs eventually did that. I don't think you'll see that this year. I think the Cubs are just going to come in, take over the division from the start. They're the much better team. I know they're off to a 2-3 and three start to begin the year. They've been shut out the last two games. But overall, this is an offense that should easily rake up in the National League and on all of baseball. The Brewers, I have finished in second. And like you, I have them going into the playoffs. I have them as my second wildcard spot. I think they do improve a couple extra games. I think they're a very good team, and they're a team that's on the rise. I, I agree with you. I think they definitely have to make a move for a starting pitcher. If they're able to get Chris Archer, that's a huge boost to that pitching staff. I don't know if they'll be able to get that big of a star, but they're certainly going to add a pitcher or two to this lineup. I'm looking at a guy like Michael Fulmer. As a possibility with the Detroit Tigers, they're falling off these next few years. Maybe they can trade a guy like Keon Bronston. Maybe they can trade a guy like Jesus Aguilar. A little bit tougher to trade Aguilar considering Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera both occupy that first and DH role. But the potential is there to trade Bronston or Santana. Uh, you can even try and piggyback contracts when you consider trying to trade Fulmer and maybe a Jordan Zimmerman, and he's able to get out of the American League. Uh, but certainly there's there's a lot of potential of teams that would offer a ace or a two-starter when you're talking about a Santana, Keon Brodston, Jesus Aguilar, or even other prospects around this team that the Brewers hold because there was years of struggling for the Brewers, and I think they're trying to finally contend again. Uh, Cardinals, middle of the pack team, like you, uh, right there in the third. They're not good enough to compete with the best teams in the National League, but they're best, definitely good enough to beat up on the weaker teams. That puts them right there in third in division. I'm going to put the Reds at fourth. I, I trust the offense a bit more than I trust the Pirates' offense. Uh, can't really tell you who's going to start every single game for the Reds, but I, I really am sold on the potential of the Cincinnati Reds. You know, when you're going to suck for about five or seven years, you're going to add some top stars to your team, some top potential. Uh, they certainly have that around that in their lineup, and I, I think that's good enough to get the Reds to fourth. Pirates, again, this is going to be an off year. I don't think they're done trading pieces away. I think you'll see guys like Josh Harrison possibly get traded this year and others like Stalin Marte or regularly Prolanco, this could be a true sell year for the Pittsburgh Pirates more than it has been in the past. And I think they're just continuously on the decline, so I have the Pirates finishing fifth in that division. And moving into the National League West, 
Let's start with the San Francisco Giants, Jose. Uh, Giants finished last season, which is 64 wins, tied with the worst record in the MLB. They go out there, they add Evan Longoria, they add Andrew McCutcheon to their lineup. Uh, obviously, both guys have struggled to begin the season. McCutcheon hitting uh, 050 sits, and Longoria just hit his first home run of the season. He's batting just 100 this year. Uh, you know, is. Last season, just a fluke year for the Giants, and it's like, oh, they have 64 wins. Forget about it. They're a playoff team at the heart of everybody. Or do you see this team quickly fading or uh, or combating? Where do you look at the Giants this year? I see them bouncing back. Um, Last year, they had a lot lot of injuries. And when you, again, kind of like the Mets, when you have a lot of injuries to all your star players and you don't have the depth to bounce back, I think that's what happens. You end up having a bad season like the Giants did. And I think halfway through, the Giants did just give up. Um, they knew they weren't going to catch the Dodgers. So they were like, hey, why not give up and tank and get a draft pick? I mean, they have the second overall pick in this year's draft, I believe. Um, you know, so that tells you everything you know. They add McCutcheon. They add Longoria. So clearly, they're trying to bounce back this year and compete. And I think they will. You know, Samarja had a really bad year last year. I think he bounces back. I think Quinn bounces this year, too. I think this this team is too good not to bounce back. And you got a guy like Longoria, who, yes, Tampa Bay is competitive every now and then, but really Tampa Bay hasn't been competitive, competitive in a very long time. So I think Evan Longoria getting back in a playoff mix for a playoff team is going to rejuvenate him in his second half of the year. Same thing with Andrew McCutcheon. You know, he's a guy who's going to be a contending team. They're going to be playing some meaningful game, games on a stretch, meaningful games against the Dodgers. Um, the only concern is Madison Bumgarner because, yet again, he is on the DL and he is not playing right now. And you've seen that when the Giants lose Madison Bumgarner, they tend to be a team. So as soon as, as soon as they can get Madison Bumgarner back, I think this Giants team is in a role. Fully expect them to be competing here in the NL West uh, when it's all said and done. I think last year was definitely a fluke. You know, it's, I would have believed last year to be a fluke going into this year. Uh, I, I would have bought into a very very right-handed lineup, but Bumgarner's on the DL. Sits to eight weeks, middle of May, earliest time span. Jeff Smarger's on the DL. He's out till probably the end of this month. You're talking about a pitching staff that has really nobody when you consider Ty Blatch, Derek Holland, Chris Stratton. There's, there's not much in the starting rotation outside of Johnny Cueto. And we're also assuming Johnny Cueto bounces back to the Cueto we all know he is, and not last season's Johnny Cueto. Uh, the offense has not been there to start off the season. Mark Melanson, the closer, is injured right now on the DL. He's expected to be back in about a week or two. Uh, Hunter Strickland's looked very good to start off the year. Credit the Giants, because they won the first two games of the season, won nothing, uh, mainly because of Joe Panic. But, you know, I'm not sold on this team. And when you put in the fact that the Dodgers are one of the best teams in baseball, the Rockies finished with a wild card spot last season, uh, and the Diamondbacks finished with a wild card last season, for me to say, hey, the Giants finished with 64 wins, pretty much have the same type of roster again, with a lot of injuries, and there's three teams that made the playoffs in that division, it's really hard to say, hey, the, Do- uh, the Giants are going to finish anywhere in the top spot of that division. So I, I do look at the last season as 
not really a fluke year. I think this is just going to be another tough year for the Giants. They're certainly a good team, but I think already injuries are piling up for the Giants that they're not going to be able to overcome if you're talking about being in the middle of May and still out a lot of games already on three tough teams. Uh, the Padres, they added Eric Cosma, but is that enough with this pitching staff? I mean, Ace is Twayton Richard, Lamette, Luis Perdermo, Tyson Ross is back. He's actually making his first start this season, and then Brian Mitchell uh, as well. Do you trust this pitching staff at all? You know, not really. And when it's also when somebody asked me this the other day, Pod. To me, Eric Hosmer was a weird signing, right? Because personally, I don't consider Eric Hosmer, you know, a game-changing player, right? He's a good player. I thought he was to the Royals. I don't think impact player that you give an eight-year contract to and he's going to turn the project around. I think they have something interesting going with Eric Hosmer and Will Myers. And not that, in my opinion, I think they have a lot of good young players in certain areas that if they take the next step, they could be a good, dynamic offensive team. But what you just said concerns me. It's the pitching. You know, Clayton Richard. You know, Tyson Ross is finally back. It's a very injury-prone and no-name pitching staff. So when it's all said and done, this rotation and the bullpen has a lot to prove. Um, but when it's all said and done, I don't know if it's going to be enough for the Padres to really make it done. In a division that's so stacked in my opinion, this year. The Dodgers obviously defending and favorites to go to the World Series again. The Rockies and D-backs are so dynamic and so quirky and they're so good. Can the Padres really hang with those other four teams? If this was any other division, I'd say the Padres would take a step forward. But when you're playing in the NL West, the Padres needed to add more and they didn't. And if you're throwing all your baskets at Cosmer and thinking you're going to take down the other four teams, it's enough for San Diego. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, another long year for the Padres. They're they're in the right phase of rebuilding. I, I like a lot of the prospects that are coming up. Will Myers is already banged up. He could probably hit the DL. Uh, and it looks like that's a high possibility, and which is tough for me because he's on two of my fantasy teams. Uh, but, you know, there's not much to trust in this, this starting rotation. This is going to be another tough year for the Padres. I, I the only thing I, I see out of Padres is, you know, you get another good draft pick. Maybe you get a couple more guys to call up. I like the outfield of the Padres, but there's nothing I like about this pitching staff. They're, they're still a year or two away. Uh, but, you know, a lot of potential, and I like the willingness to spend money. You know, like you said, Eric Hosmer, questionable signing, a long-term deal, but there's a willingness to go out there and to spend money on Eric Hosmer. And I think that's a key move for the Padres. I don't know if that's a difference maker, but I think that shows just an opportunity that the Padres want to compete again. Because a lot of teams that we saw this offseason just are caving towards those powerhouse teams and are giving up and are not looking to spend money on, pro- on free agents. And the Padres took the exact opposite approach decided, hey, we're going to spend a lot of money on Eric Cosma. We're going to go out there, and we're going to look to compete over these next few years, or we're going to look to try and have a potential team that can be a playoff team. So there's more of a willingness when it comes to the Padres that I look at as a positive, but overall this team, not much. Uh, For the Dodgers, they finished with the best record in baseball, just short of winning the World Series. Justin Turner is going to begin the season with the fractured wrist. 
Chris Taylor, Tony Bellinger are headed to their sophomore seasons. Tony Bellinger, the only National League player uh, out of the all players last season that hit, I think, 38 home runs or more of the 11 players to do so. Tony Bellinger is the only one in the National League. No you Darvish, but for the Dodgers, expectations, they really can't be any higher. Uh, they just missed the World Seri- uh, winning the World Series last season. So, Jose, is this a World Series or bust year for the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. And it's not because, you know, it, it, it's how it is. For the Dodgers, it's not to accomplish it. You know, they're always going to be the favorite to win the NL West. I think all four teams are chasing L.A. Um, this is a team that's very dynamic. Um, Andrew Friedman has done some great things bringing to the high payroll. Remember, this is a team that bought everybody across the states from every other team and tried to make a dynamic super team. And they had Henry Ramirez, Adrian Gonzalez, and that didn't work. Andrew Friedman came in here, cleaned out. No, yes, all of them had to spend all 300 of it. And he created a team that has Chris Taylor as their most dynamic outfielder. Tell me where Chris Taylor was three years ago. You probably can't. And, you know, they make it work and they go all over the world last year with guys like Justin Turner, who was a bench player for the New York Mets. I mean, this is a team that's very ultra-impressive. They know how to win based on safer metrics. They make it work. David Roberts is a great manager. But for the Dutchers, there's just nothing more for them to accomplish than they win. No matter how many playoffs they make, no matter how many World Series they go to, none of it matters anymore unless you're winning. That's the only thing the Dodgers have done. Think about it. So uh, you don't have to worry about him leaving LA. He'll ever leave LA. But I think the ultimate goal is to win a World Series, and I think for the Dodgers, the only thing left to do. Yeah, this to me is a uh, World Series of bust year. I don't necessarily know if the Dodgers are going to be able to win the World Series this season, but. this is a team that spends the most money every single year. They have the best starting pitcher in baseball in Twain Kershaw. And I agree with you. I don't see him going anywhere. He's a Dodger lifer. I think he loves it now in L.A. You have Cody Bellinger who, yes, uh, Cody Bellinger and Chris Taylor are both in their sophomore year. Just dominate the league. Uh, this should be the highest expectations for the Dodgers. And, Without a doubt, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. So we expect them to make a move or two by the trade deadline to even try and improve their team even more. Uh, but there, there's nothing other than World Series. You, you can't come Game Seven just short and not win and not win to the next year as a World Series or bust year. That that's the only way you can look at it. I and it's. The same as I looked at it as the Royals and the Giants a couple of years back. You know, the Royals lost to the Giants because of Madison Bumgarner. And what happened that season? The Royals came out there, dominated baseball, led the uh, lead in wins, and then faced the New York Mets and won and beat the New York Mets in the World Series. Sorry, Jose, I'm reminding you of that. But uh, it's just one of those things. And it's the same for the Dodgers this year. Expectations cannot be any higher for the Dodgers. Uh, but overall, this is going to be one of the, uh, one of the best teams in the league yet again. 
for the Dodgers. I don't expect uh, Turner's with a fractured wrist to really be any sort of roadblock for this team. They're just going to be one of the most dominant teams in baseball yet again. For the Diamondbacks, they finished with a wild card spot last year. Great pitching staff behind them. And possibility that the pitching staff could be even better this year. Not because they added somebody, but because they added a humidifier to Chase Fields. And now it's expected to be one of the biggest pitching ballparks in the MLB. Obviously, it hasn't tipped off to be that way. Uh, Arizona and Colorado both were putting up eight or nine runs for the first two games of the season. A lot of that, I'm just going to say, has to do with the Diamondbacks and Rockies, two of the best offensive teams in the league. But, Jose, are you looking at this new addition to Chase Field to become one of the biggest pitcher parts in a year, or do you see this affecting the Diamondbacks in any way? Uh, What's your take on that? How is it going to affect So it comes off players' bats. Ultimate's a good hitter. Jake Lamb's a good hitter. Um, and on top, you know, this thing said I've been a good hitter's ballpark in general, too. So I don't think it's been major swing that's going to shift from heavy hitch park to pitchers park if anything between the two and i think it'll help the backs in that way yeah you know i'm, I'm looking at it and saying it has the possibility of helping uh dying back pitchers you know uh zach goodley is a very sinker ball ground ball pitcher i think that could benefit him uh you know even if this just takes away a couple home runs that could be the difference maker. And this is a Diamondbacks team that has plenty of offense around them. Uh, Paul Goldsmith, A.J. Pollock, when he's healthy. You know, I, I like David Peralta. This is a guy that's not going to hit balls just constantly out of the ballpark, but just hit for average. So overall, when I look at the Diamondbacks lineup, they're not always built to just hit home runs. They're built to do everything. Uh, so... I don't know if it's really going to affect the offense too much. It could limit them to a, a couple less home runs this season. But I think this is just going to be a benefit for that pitching staff, for Zach Drenke, for Robbie Ray, who could be one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball again, for Zach Goodley, uh, Patrick Corbin. So I really like uh, this can't hurt the Diamondbacks. It can only help them because there's not many teams that have the offense and the lineup like the Diamondbacks and then add into a pitcher's part. Now, it could make the opposite. Uh, Who knows? Uh, Obviously, if you take the first couple games, you're looking at, say, pitching part, not really. Uh, But we'll have to see uh, long-term if it really does affect the uh, stadium and it really does affect the players. But as of now, it's more just a wait-and-see process. But I'm very interested to see how the Diamondback players respond to it, how it affects hitters, does it have a positive for pitchers? So I'm I'm interested in it, but I can't see this being a negative for the Diamondbacks in any way. And if it is a pitcher part, then it makes three very challenging pitcher parts in the National League West to begin with. Uh, lastly, the Rockies. They finished with the second wild card spot, and they go out, they add Wade Davis instead of bringing back Ray Holland. They re-sign Cardo to a one-year deal, and... 
the Rockies were able to get the second wild card spot, but can they do that for a second straight season? You know, I really don't think so. I think when it comes down to the Rockies, they always they're always a team that takes one step forward and two steps back. And and they, there's some major inconsistency when it comes down to Colorado. And I think we're going to see that again this year. Don't get me wrong. I think Charlie Blackman and Arenado are fantastic players. But can this rotation really, you know, pitch well like they did last year again? I don't know. How is this bullpen going to go different this time around? It was a good bullpen last year. But can Wade Davis adjust to pitching in Coors Field now? I don't know. There's just so many quiet marks when it comes down to the Rockies. Can Carlos Gonzalez be a, a little bit of what Carlos Gonzalez used? Used to be, no one to sign the guy, and no one wants to touch this guy. I mean, there's a lot of question marks when it comes down to the Rockies, and there's so much inconsistency over the past couple of years. They can't put a straight, full out contender this year like they were last year. You know, when it comes to the Rockies, ton of offense. Coors Field, we know all about it. Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman. Uh, those two guys are, are alone are going to be competing for the National League uh, MVP. Uh, but the pitching staff's just not there. And then, you know, Tyler Chatwood. I really like Tyler Chatwood. And this is a guy that had a mid-three ERA on the road. Obviously, home splits way different. But that's something to look at. Uh, the, this is a pitching staff that really is going to have to pitch extremely well at home, and that's been just an extreme difficulty for any Colorado Rockies pitcher for, what, since the stadium came to let. So it's tough to see this team getting to the second wild card spot, getting to a playoff spot when you're talking about there's the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers, the Mets if they're healthy. So there's a lot of teams that, will be competing for wild card spots already. There's at least three ahead of the Rockies that I consider. And so I looked at the Rockies almost like the Cardinals. You know, they're they're better than the average team, but there's just a lot of teams in the National League, and it's going to be tough for the Rockies to consistently win against. So I think this is going to be a tough year for the Rockies just trying to make the playoffs because they're going to have two teams above them in this division. Now, Jose, I think you said you had the the Mets at the second wild card and the Cubs at the first wild card spot. So you only have one team coming out of the National League West after they were three the year prior, correct? So if that's right, who is your one team in the National League West? My one team coming out of the National League West is going to be the LA Dodgers. I think this team is um, I think. I think yeah, you know, being the Dodgers and everybody, I think is just so tremendous that they're not going to be able to catch up. Uh, the backs and the Rockies were contending for a lot. This pretty much ran away with it last year. I think they're going to do the same. I do expect the D backs to kind of second place since we're going on. Place all by the Giants into the back the Giants. It has to be a bounder. I don't know if they have enough in the rotation after Madison Bumgarner, like you said, uh, and if Bumgarner even comes back healthy, like his Bumgarner self. 
That's a huge question mark that the Dodgers will continue offense this year. Um, and we'll see how he may factor. Uh, so they have some flaws. Well, too, it's going to prevent them from getting a talk. So, first, D-backs in second, Giants in third. Four comes to So, I can't really trust them enough. And in last place, even though I think they're going to be an improved team offense, again, it's something, you know, say with a straight face that I trust their team. I think the Padres are going to come in last place, not because they're going to be a terribly good team, but because the division is just too tough for them. So, uh, a little bit of static there, but just to re- uh, repeat it a little bit, uh, Jose had the Dodgers winning the division from their Diamondbacks, and then the Giants at the third spot in the division with the Rockies and the Padres closing out the division. The Dodgers being his only team to come out of the National League West into the playoffs. Mine's a little bit different than Jose's. Uh, like we expected, the National League is a little bit more uh, teams involved uh, competing-wise than in the American League. It really looks like there's only six possible teams. Uh, so for me, I, I agree with Jose. I have the Dodgers. You know, They finished with the best record in baseball. Hard to see them not having high expectations again. They should dominate the MLB in general. Clayton Kershaw is a good start to have to begin with. Uh, the Dodgers finished with what should easily be the best record in, uh, sorry, the Dodgers finish with what should be the best record in the National League and should finish with the National League West. From there, I have the Diamondbacks, and I have the Diamondbacks as my number one wild card team yet again this season. You know, this is a team that has four good pitchers. I really like the rotation. Mix that in with a strong lineup on a consistent basis. I don't really know what the humidifier is going to do in Chase Field, but I'm not too worried when it comes to this lineup. It's better than most teams already. Bullpen, I really like Archie Bradley and Brad Bratsberger, um, who used to play for the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that's a nice 8-9 inning guy. Archie Bradley, although has probably better stuff than Brad Bratsberger, you look at it and say Archie Bradley was used in a lot of games the seventh inning and eighth inning and big inning situations. I think they're trying to, I don't want to use the Dylan Patances view of Archie Bradley, but that really seems to be the take Arizona lights of Bradley that he just comes in in relief moments in these big game spots. So that's how I really looked at Archie Bradley. And that's always a nice key piece to have when you're thinking about the playoffs. That's one of the guys I'm looking to turn to when, with the Diamondbacks because I think they can make a deep run in the playoffs. From there, the Rockies at the uh, third spot in the division. But same thing has to go with the Cardinals. I think they're a little bit better than the Cardinals. But at the end of the day, there's just a few more teams a lot better than the Rockies. It's hard to win on a consistent basis against better teams. That should be the Rockies' bid struggle. Giants in fourth. They're just not good enough. They're just not healthy enough. And they got three teams that won, a, a won and made playoffs last season. Hard to pit them to go really far this year. And Padres, tough luck. You're fifth. Uh, but I'm going to go first on mine uh, for the Cy Young and MVP. I, I had 
Mike Trout and Chris Sale. Uh, I took pretty much no risk with the American League. And I'm pretty much sold on taking no risk again. I'm going to give it to Clayton Kershaw. Why? Because he just didn't win it last year. And it's one of the best pitchers in baseball. It's really a couple. There are a lot of good starting pitchers in the National League. But I think when Clayton Kershaw looks at it and say, hey, you know, Matt Scherzer beat me. I think Clayton Kershaw just uses that a little bit as an edge. And he's going to try and win the Cy Young this year and pitch incredible. And my National League MVP, I'm giving it to Charlie Blackman. You know, this is a guy that hit over 30 home runs, one of the top guys in the National League in home runs, had a ton of our, over 100 RBIs, 100 runs stored, hits for 300, able to steal bases. He fills every single category. And I'll say it, if Gentile Stanton doesn't hit 60 home runs, I don't know if if Charlie Blackman doesn't win the MVP. I think he finished third in the MVP, and he really missed out because uh, they were guys like Joey Votto and Paul Goldsmith. But you don't know what the humidifier effects on Paul Goldsmith. There's no more Gentile Stanton. Joey Votto always gets a love from voters, but I think stats-wise, Blackman's going to beat out Joey Votto. Maybe not in slugging and on base percentage, but... Overall, I'm going to give it to Charlie Blackman as he'll take home, in my mind, his first MVP. So, Jose, before we get into the playoff predictions, who's your Cy Young and MVP? Well, people are not going to like me because I'm going to go with a safe choice and then a risky choice. My first choice is going to be Clayton Kershaw, obviously, like you said. I think if he's healthy all year long last year, and to me, that's the biggest thing with Kershaw is sometimes he misses some time, which makes me not want to vote for him for Cy Young. So if he's healthy all year long, Clayton Kershaw's a Cy Young. There's really no doubt about it. Scherzer's 1A, and Kershaw's just 1. You know, we're talking about the best. Um, so you got to grow with Clayton Kershaw. There's no way you can really bet against him. So Clayton Kershaw's my NL Cy Young. When it comes to the NL MVP, I'm going back out to L.A. I'm actually going to choose Cody Bellinger. Um, I think Bellinger is going to take advantage of Turner not being in the lineup, and you're really going to see the worth of the young rookie. Well, he's not a rookie anymore. Um you're really going to see the worth of Cody Bellinger this year. He was phenomenal last year. He won Rookie of the Year for a reason. I think he makes a quick turnaround and takes MVP home this year. So Dodger double dip, if you should say. Yeah, that is that is interesting. But, I mean, it, I mean, the L.A. fans are going to love you. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'll remind uh, listeners, if in case they did forget uh, episode 25, we did have the same five teams. Uh, the Yankees, Indians, Astros all winning the divisions. The Red Sox finishing with the first wild card spot, and the Angels finishing with the second uh, as well. Uh, Astros were going to have finished with the best record. So starting with the wild cards, uh, Jose, Red Sox, who do you have uh, in the wild card? The Red Sox or the Angels advancing to face on the Astros? And just by their roll to it till you get to the World Series with the American League. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the Angels. Um, over the Red Sox. Um, if we're talking about right now, um, you know, Mike Trout's the best player in the game. And I think the Angels pitching staff is just a little bit more set up to succeed than the Red Sox is. Um, Chris Sale is Chris Sale. And I know David Price had a phenomenal first game out for the Red Sox this season. But can I really trust David Price when it matters the most? The question is, I don't know. Um, you know, David Price hasn't really proven that he's exercised demons yet. And and even during the regular season, David Price has not had a good career for the Red Sox so far all year. And I really don't trust anybody else in their rotation, too. So I think pitching is going to be a big weakness for the Red Sox going forward. Um, so I have the Angels over the Red Sox in the wild card game, which leaves me with their Astros and Angels. 
from there, I'm choosing the Astros. This team is so stacked. You're talking about Verlander one day, Garrett Cole next, Lance McCullers on another. I mean, what they throw at you is everything, including the kitchen sink, is one of my favorite phrases. This offense is so dynamic. Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer. Everywhere you turn, they're having four-man outfields. It's, just, it's ridiculous, and the Astros are just the best team in baseball, in my opinion. They're going to take care of the Angels in the ALDS. And the other ALDS matchup, a rematch from the last year, Indians and Yankees. Um, I'm going to roll with the Yankees. I think this team is just so incredibly stacked offensively. They still have an amazing bullpen. Uh, so do the Indians, and they have a good pitching staff, too. But I think the Yankee offense is just going to put them over the Indians. Self-explanatory, Judge Stanton Sanchez. Um, good luck getting past those guys in the middle of the order, which, again, sets up a rematch from last year of Astros and Yankees. And I know people are going to you know, kind of yell at me for boring here, but I'm going to take the Astros over the Yankees and get the Astros into the World Series. I think the Astros and Yankees are going to do battle for the next couple of years, honestly. And I think the Astros are going to one-up the Yankees again this year because their pitching is so much better. Again, Verlander. Adding Garrett Cole. I think Garrett Cole's, what, their third best pitcher technically for Houston, if you want to include Kygo in the mix, too. I mean, that's just incredibly stacked. And I think the Astros are just overall a better team than the Yankees. So I have the Astros making it to the World Series. Yeah, I'm pretty much following suit with a lot of them, but I'm going to start with the one bid differential. The Red Sox I have beating the Angels. Uh, as much as I may have issues with trusting David Price, and that's probably a big reason why I don't have the. Uh, Red Sox advancing past uh, Houston. You know, Chris Sale at the end of the day. And Chris Sale versus possibly Shohei Otani. I mean, that's going to be a very entertaining. Uh, but I'm going to give it to the Red Sox because of the fact that you're going to have Chris Sale pitching for you in a one-game playoff uh, matchup from there. It's the Astros. Like you said, they'll hit you with everything with the kitchen sink. It, it really feels like a WWE moment where it's like, get the chairs, then get the ladders, then get the <laughs> table. Because they're just going to hit you with everything they got. And it, I, we're talking about three uh, top aces on one By team. My God, that baseball has a family. <laughs> it, 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 it does feel like that at times. I mean, you're going to go with Garrett Cole. You're going to get Justin Verlander. And if you get Justin Verlander that pitches the way he did in the playoffs – you're in trouble already because you're going to be behind two games minimum in any series that you're going in and Dallas title. And they still have top starters throughout that entire rotation. Even in the bullpen, there's some starters. So Houston's got everything easily should pass by the Red Sox. Uh, Yankees, I have beating the Indians. Now I wouldn't be surprised if this gets flipped come playoffs. I, I think you saw a little bit of just struggles by the Indian starting pitchers. Carlos Carrasco struggled. Corey Kluber struggled at time. Uh, I'm, I'm banking on like a guy like Danny Salazar to be healthy. Uh, but certainly if the Indians are able to have those three righties healthy, this could be a different series for the Indians. And if they're able to pitch well, I'm not really trusting when it comes to Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez. A lot of these guys strike out a lot. They're a predominant righty lineup, uh, which leads it just towards, again, Yankees are going to beat the Indians, Astros beating the Red Sox, and I do have the Astros beating the Yankees. I don't want to say it's boring. I think it's going to be a very interesting series, very entertaining when you consider two of the best offenses in baseball, uh, and phenomenal bullpen versus phenomenal starting pitching. Uh, and I, I do agree with you. This could be the making of a nice couple-year matchup between these two teams. Uh, consistently fighting it out in the playoffs. So I, I like the potential it could show. Uh, so I, we both have the Astros in the World Series. 
who's going to meet him there? Jose, let's go with you. You said you had the Cubs and Mets in the one-game wild card. Yeah, I believe from there, I'm going to um, you know, when it comes down to it, they know how to play when, when, when it's a one-game, if it's a five-game series or seven-game series, the Mets definitely have a chance against the Cubs. I think when it's a one-game scenario, though, I think the Cubs probably hit you with a lot of different options. I think by that point, they're going to have a better bullpen because it'll be in the postseason and past the deadline. Um, we don't know how banged up the Mets squad is going to be at that point, too. But when you look at it, the Cubs, they have a Kyle Hendricks, John Lester. Those guys have more experience than a guy like Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard. And in that situation, I'm going to take the guy with more experience. And the fact that the Mets just sometimes can't get anything going when it comes down to a one-game playoff. We've seen it in the past. When the pressure mounts on a New York Mets, sometimes they falter, sad to say. So if it's a five-game set, seven-game set, you can give me the Mets over the Cubs, I truly believe. But in a one-game scenario, i got to roll with the Cubs in that scenario. Which brings me to, we didn't say who was going to have the best record in the National League, but I think the Dodgers are going to finish with the best record. So it's going to set up a Cubs-Dodgers matchup in the NLCS, uh, NLDS, which is going to be very fantastic to watch. Give me the Dodgers over the Cubs. Again, I think the, the Dodgers are a powerhouse in the National League. Um, Cody Bellinger is going to put the put them past the Cubs again on his MVP type season. Clayton Kershaw is going to match up against Kyle Hendricks and John Lester. But I think it's going to be too much to handle for them as well too. The Dodgers know how to win, um, no matter who it is, when it comes to their small ball style and their analytical baseball style. So give me the Dodgers over the Cubs in the five game set. On the other side, that's going to leave the Nationals and Brewers. Um, I think the struggle continues. I don't think the Nationals make it at the first round, but at that point the Brewers are going to have an ace like Chris Archer. And I think the Brewers are going to take it to the Nationals. This is a good offensive team when it comes to the Brewers. They're going to come at you heavy as well, too. They play great defense. And the Nationals just have a curse against them. I don't trust the Washington Nationals. I can't say I'm going to pick them out of the first round until I see it. Um, so, again, I think the Brewers are going to end up topping the Nationals just because history is going to repeat itself. And I think Bryce Harper leaves the Nationals and go to the Cubs. I'll throw that in there for some fun as well, too. And then watch out for the Cubs in 2019, I might add. But that's going to leave an interesting NLCS matchup of Dodgers and Brewers in which the Brewers are going to have a very fighting spirit, but it's not going to be enough to take down the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers get through that NLCS fairly easily, even though the Brewers are going to be a competitive team this year. I think the Dodgers are just too much for the Brewers to handle, which sets up just a rematch from last year. Astros versus Dodgers again. I really, truly believe, Nick, and, and, you know, this is what's phenomenal about baseball is that almost every year we have different World Series matchups and different playoff teams because of how the parity in this league shapes up. There's always seems to be different playoff teams in the mix. But I think with the Astros and Dodgers, you're looking at the MLB's version of Cavaliers-Warriors when it comes to the NBA. I think we're going to see the Astros and Dodgers hook up a lot when it comes to the World Series over a couple of years or every other year. But I think you're looking at two teams that are the top teams in each of their league and I don't see a lot of teams matching up well against them. I have the Astros doing it again now. Astros over Dodgers in the World Series. I think the Astros are looking at a team at the beginning of a dynasty. This is easily a team that can win three World Series in a row and break that Yankee record. So give me the Astros-Dodgers rematch. I would love it. It was a great series last year. I think the Astros take it again. All right, so for me, I'm going to start it off with the Diamond Bats beating the Brewers, you know, this is a team that has the ability to have either Robbie Ray or Zach Greinke being that starter in that first game against the Brewers, and again, both of us are assuming the Brewers are going to try and add a pitcher, but if they don't, we're looking at Chase Anderson or Jimmy Nelson, if healthy, uh, in that one-game playoff, I don't really love that to begin with, uh, I 
much prefer Zach Renke or Robbie Wright. Amidst that in, the Diamondbacks have a just a much more loaded roster compared to the Brewers. So I'm going to give the edge to the Diamondbacks on that one. From there, the Diamondbacks are going to continue winning because I also have the Dodgers finishing with the best record in the National League, but that doesn't get them far. I think the mixture of these Diamondbacks, they play extremely well against the Dodgers, and I think last year even just more fuel to the fire, and it's going to beat the Dodgers. Uh, and so the Diamondbacks I have making it to the NLCS, where the Nationals are going to beat the Cubs in the NLDS and finally advance through that issue, and it seems like every year I'm going the same route, uh, but I'm, hit, I'm taking pitching at the end of the day. As much as I love the Cubs pitching staff, you get Matt Scherz or Steven Strasburg as a 1-2. Even in a five-game series, you're looking at them starting at least four of those games, three of those games. They should be able to win those games. Just as good of a, um, a lineup on a consistent basis. And I'm going to say Daniel Murphy goes Daniel Murphy-esque in the playoffs uh, to advance the Nationals finally out of the NLDS. The Nationals then are going to beat the Diamondbacks and continue by beating the Houston Astros in a sit, uh, in six games. So the Nationals, I have winning the World Series. Uh, it seems like I go this route. <laughs> it seems like I go this route almost every year when it comes to the Washington Nationals, and somehow they disappoint every single year. This won't be the year I pick against them. I just. You look at the team, and there's no reason why this team can't be a World Series team or win the World Series. I think there's a lot of good powerhouse teams in the MLB this year. It's going to be very entertaining, but there's two aces on this team. There's a loaded roster. There's a good enough bullpen. And, you know, there is that star potential and pressure with having to win without Bryce Harper in the following year, so I'm really interested in that one. Uh, so, I have the Nationals, Jose has the Astros and the Dodgers in a rematch series, uh, but I know it's getting towards the end of the basketball season, and instead of going basketball, because we're going to talk about the NBA when it comes to the playoffs, there, during our podcast recording was a trade in the NFL. Brandon Cooks traded to the Los Angeles Rams. The Patriots traded Cooks and a fourth-round pick to the Rams for the 23rd overall pick and a sixth-rounder in the draft this year. And, you know, Jose, you look at the Rams, and I know we're not going to get much into football, but we are just going to talk about this one for a moment. Um, you look at the Rams, they have made some big additions so far this offseason. They add Brandon Coates, they add a team to leave, they sign the Dominican Sioux, they trade for Marcus Peters as well. This Rams team is getting extremely loaded. And do you almost have this feel that it's because they're ready to compete or because they're ready to take over this fan base? I think they're ready to take over the fan base, honestly. I think they want it more. Um, you know, it's one of those scenarios where you want to put your stamp on this fan base and make it yours. And I think they're pulling out all the stops they can, but I also think they are ready to compete too. And I think they are very, a big, big time favorite to win. Um, I think they see a window of opportunity with a lot of other teams declining. Um, so they're trying to make their, make their mark and why not kill two birds with one stone? You ready to contend and you're ready to take over the fan base. 
Yeah, this could be a year where Seattle's on the very much of a decline. Arizona still doesn't have a uh, – well, they have Sam Bradford if you count that as a quarterback, but every year you don't, don't expect them to play 16 games. And the 49ers are up and coming, but it's tough to assume that they're going to be able to compete with this division against the Los Angeles Rams. So, again, this is a great year to really take over this division and really take over the fan base in Los Angeles when you're claiming a new stadium as well. Uh, with that, coming towards the end of the podcast for episode 26, and as always with every podcast, we have uh, Beardback and our dude in Dunce of the Week, so we'll start off with Beardback, and not much for it, but in 2006, uh, today, again, is April 3rd, so in 2006, the 68 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, Florida beating UCLA, 73-57. A lot of the games, if you go back in to the, you know, to, uh, today in sports history, you're going to see a lot of women's and men's uh, college basketball championships because we're just ended March Madness. Uh, a lot of fun and a lot of destroyed brackets, that's for sure. Uh, but that's really the main consensus of today on April 3rd. Uh, and with that, we go to our dude and dunce of the week, and our dude of the week is not going to be a dude. It is going to be from the college women's basketball team of Notre Dame, Arike Okumbawale, as the junior guard not only hit the game-winning shot in overtime to beat UConn, who was undefeated at the time, putting up 27 points in that game, hits the game-winning shot against Mississippi State to win the national championship. So Akumbawale just dominating clutchness. Uh, and it was interesting to see even the, the Twitter of like Kobe Bryant uh, going Mamba-like at times was Akumbawale. And I'm, I'm just excited that I got the name right. Uh, so with that also, who is our dunce of the week? Yeah, I was really worried you weren't going to get that name right, but I think it sounds about right. So good job, Nick. Sounds about right. You're getting, you're getting a lot better on pronunciation. Uh, my dunce of the week is going to be Gabe Kapler, the Philadelphia Phillies manager. Talk about a f- first week on the job, if, if it's even a week. Day one, pulls Aaron Nola out of the game after just 68 pitches, brings in his fantastic bullpen. And I'm using air quotes. You can't really see me. But fantastic bullpen. They implode. Phillies lose the ball game. Okay, cool. On another day, he decides to make a pitching change, signals to the bullpen, no one's warming up in the bullpen, which caused an instant reaction from everywhere around the league. Flat out awful. And in three days, just three games, because their game was postponed yesterday against the Mets, he's used a total of 21 pitchers, Nick. 21 pitchers in three days, averaging about seven pitchers per game. That happened. Does he realize there's another 159 games to go? Someone should let him know that the season doesn't end in about a week because he's burning through his bullpen and we're three games into the season, Nick. And also, the best part of it is is that when they interview him about it after the game, he does not admit to making an actual mistake. Gabe Kapler, I am not from Philadelphia. Can't even pretend like I am. Me and the Philly fans don't see eye to eye, but we can agree on one thing. And I think I know Philadelphia when I say if you do not take blame for your responsibilities and for your actions, you will not last long in Philadelphia. Go ask coach Chip Kelly what happened to him after he left Philadelphia when he was ran out of town. Because right now, if you keep going to where we're going, you're going to join Chip Kelly on the list of favorite coach- coaches. Again, air quotes there. 
to ever coach in Philadelphia. So Gabe Kapler, you're my dunce of the week. Well, at least he had the day off yesterday. Get the pitching staff a chance. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I <laughs> bet you they all were probably relieved. They probably made the, the snow come down doing some kind of snow dance because none of them probably wanted to play yesterday. It's a long season, and it's it's tough figuring out a pitching staff. But choosing well, someone should pitchers. tell him that then, because he's burning through pitchers like <laughs> like, like there's none. And, and once again, uh, I am Nick Sarasso. and I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 26. And as a final thought, congrats to the Villanova men's and the Notre Dame women for winning the NCAA College Basketball Championships. Of course, in a very exciting bracket between both of those squads. Uh, All four number one seeds of the women's teams making it to the Final Four. And just an exciting games Notre Dame was able to put through those two games. And Villanova's men's just completely dominating every team they faced, whether it was Kansas or Michigan. They blew out everyone and... Congrats to both teams for winning the championships. As uh, both Jose and I are thankful baseball has begun. Podcast episode 27 should be coming out next week as well, in the middle of April. Uh, We're going to be talking about the NBA playoffs, covering a lot more of just how the first round will go, and giving you our predictions of who will win the NBA finals. So stay tuned for that one, and thank you for listening to Saras on the Beard Podcast, episode 26.